0: Good morning, welcome to Grace Point Church, uh, our virtual church. I think we're on week number six, kind of kind of lost track of time here. Uh, if you have your Bibles, go ahead and open up to Mark uh, chapter 12. Uh, we'll be in verses 28 through 34. Um, I, I again want to just give thanks to, to, to Don and I, Isaac and Daniel for coming down and, and leading us in worship as they always do. Um, also to Cross Connection Church, who is who is making uh, these recordings uh, for us possible. We are uh, deeply grateful to them for uh, providing us with this service. Um, I do want to say that we are in uh, frustrating, frightening times. Uh, sort of the, the emotions on the scale kind of go, go back and forth and and uh, I just want you to know that I, I'm praying for you. As as awkward and and as uncomfortable as this as this is, I sort of feel like you're we're at the the dentist office when they're doing the X-ray and they're jamming that piece in the very back of your mouth and and you're you're trying not to gag. And the lady says, "Oh, just be calm. Just just stay still so I can get the image." Um, I, I sort of sense that that's where we are in this. It's been a number of weeks and and there's sort of this open-ended how long do we have to go on like this we're trying to stay calm we're trying not to be frustrated and so i would uh, just encourage you to know that god is in control Um, i'm praying for you and i'm available to you as best as i can be uh, during this time Uh, with that let's go ahead and pray and we'll read our passage for today Father we do thank you and praise you for this day. We thank you for your word. We thank you uh, for this time that we have uh, to gather here virtually, Lord. As we sang earlier, we fall down. Uh, we we fall down before you and we ask, Lord, that your spirit would lead us and guide us, uh, illuminate the the meaning of the text before us here. And Lord, I ask that you would uh, connect our hearts to yours. Lord, help us uh, to know you and to walk faithfully with you uh, all the days of our life. We, we love you, Lord, and we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen. All right, so Mark chapter 12, verse 28, we read, One of the scribes came and heard them arguing and recognizing that he had answered them well, asked him, What commandment is the foremost of all? Jesus answered, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. The second is this, You shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. The scribes said to him, "Right, teacher. You have truly stated that he is one, and there is no one else besides him. And to love him with all the heart, and with all the understanding, and with all the strength, and to love one one neighbor as himself is much more than all burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered intelligently, he said to him, You are not far from the kingdom of God. After that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions and Father, we do thank you for your word. We ask that you would lead us now, and it 's in christ 's good name we pray amen uh, so one of the things that i 've been enjo- enjoying uh, during this time is on my phone I, I have an app time hop that sort of you know populates pictures from from the past memories and and i found them to be very enjoyable, things that sort of uh, spark a memory. And this week, one popped, off, popped up that sort of made me sad, and it, it was a couple years ago, I took the boys and, and Anna's dad and I, we went to, you know, opening day of, of the Padres, and it was a super fun day, and, and it ended with the Padres losing, which is very typical, and uh, that memory has sort of been ruminating in my mind as I've been studying this passage. And so much of, of being a San Diego sports fan has been at the forefront. We have been close uh, a few times, but we've never quite s- sealed the deal. Um, 1998 was one of the greatest years for me in San Diego sports history. Uh, the, the Padres were, were rolling, heading to the World Series. Um, I, I bought playoff tickets to uh, one of the games. I think it was against the Braves. Um, I was going to take my dad, and, and then next thing, the Navy kind of jerked me around and told me I, I couldn't. I had to go somewhere else and I couldn't go to the game. And we actually made it to the World Series. And I'll never forget that first game, all this excitement. San Diego was going to be a great sports team. Uh, right away, I think it was a third inning the new york yankees they they scored three runs or two runs and it was just devastating um but as san diego sort of responded we had a guy on on base tony Gwynn came up he was able to advance the guy to second and then vaughn came up and hit this home run to, to even the score and i think that moment for me was the moment of, you know, San Diego's legitimate, we're in this, you know, all of the all of the ridicule and stuff can end at this point. And as you all know, or if you don't know, basically from that moment on, we got absolutely decimated and we were swept in the World Series. Uh, San Diego's never won a World Series. We've never won a Super Bowl back when we had uh, you know that other sport that we don't talk about anymore um, we've been close but never have we gotten the old cigars they say um, close only counts in horseshoes and hand grenades and the reason i bring this up is we're we're introduced to a man today that was close it was like he was right right there and this dialogue between him and, and jesus is, is fascinating it doesn't feel combative it's it's they're dialoguing, and they're in agreement, and yet this guy is so close, and yet he's so far away from the kingdom of God. And so let's look at the story. Verse 28, we see one of the scribes came, and so in the midst of where we are, I don't want to rehash the whole story, but Jesus has been uh, wave after wave after wave of attack from the Sanhedrin. Uh, the Pharisees had, and the Pharisees and Herodians had approached him, sort of concerning um, uh, what were they? They were dealing with the uh, the coin and render under Caesar. And then last week we have the Sadducees about the resurrection. And so we're told that one of the scribes comes along and he hears Jesus arguing with them, and recognizing that he had answered them well. So this man, uh, the scribe, as He's listening to Jesus sort of go back and forth and argue and debate with 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 the men um, he's impressed with them um, we don't know how much if he just was there for the one part or if he'd been there for all of them but but there's something within this man that he recognizes that that he'd answered him well and if we just read the the mark account we would think that this man was uh, genuine and, and, and sincere in his approach to Jesus, uh, going over to Matthew, in Matthew chapter 22, verses 34 and 35, he inserts uh, a little uh, explanation or commentary on what happened in the midst of all of this. And there we read, but when the Pharisees heard that Jesus had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered themselves together. So so when the Sadducee uh, dealing with the resurrection sort of came to a halt, um, they said, hey, let's gather up, let's talk about how we can kind of maybe send in our approach to try to dismantle Jesus's uh, authority and his reputation with the people. And so one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question testing him. So we see that there's some sort of meeting that, that occurs in the midst of this. And so in our story, when this uh, scribe or lawyer, they were experts in the law, they, we see that this man was a, a Pharisee. Um, they had access to the Sanhedrin. They wouldn't necessarily be on the Sanhedrin, but these were the scholars. These were the, the men who uh, devoted their time in, in the text and knew the text and, and really were the authority on how to handle the text and so it's one of these things trying to grapple between how do we, how do we handle Mark's account and Matthew's account that, that sort of, it, it, they almost, they feel a little bit conflicted. Um, th- the way I have come to understand this is that this, uh, this man is a part of them. He's trying to attack Jesus. He's trying to trip him up, um, being a part of the scribes and the Pharisees. But at the same time, he is a genuine man and so he is sincere in his approach although he is a part of them uh, trying to prove Jesus to be a counterfeit. And so it, it really is one of these passages that as we it's just it, this is one of those that this week preparing was really hard on me um, just grappling through it with our the way the weeks have been working. Um, I, I didn't have a lot of time to, to sort of uh, Marinate on the text, um, but 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 there's something difficult about this one. It, it's simple and straightforward, but at the same time, figuring out this what's going on between Jesus and this scribe and and Mark leaves the the ending so open, so we don't know what happened to him. I have so many questions, but we're introduced to the scribe who comes to Jesus and. Mm-hmm. He asks him a question. He sort of interrupts the dialogue with the with the um, with the Sadducees, and he asks them the question: "What commandment is the foremost of them all?" And so he's looking at what they have identified as the six hundred and thirteen commandments of the Old Testament. We we know that he's a Pharisee, so he's looking at the whole of the Old Testament, not the first five books of the Bible like the Sadducees, and. His question is sort of straightforward. If you had uh, to give credence to any particular one, which one would it be? And so it begs the question, how is this a test? Uh, This seems simple. Um, But if we look at the whole of the Gospels and we see how they were approaching Jesus, there was this constant attack against Jesus, against the apostles, against Paul, um, that they were trying to void the, the law, the Old Testament. And so he went in there with this sort of assumption about how Jesus would answer, thinking that Jesus would answer incorrectly. He would answer in a way that would nullify the Old Testament, and thus uh, the populace would get angry with Jesus, and they would be able to take Jesus into custody. The, the, the whole movement of the story is leading to the cross. And so Jesus answers in verse 29, and he says, The foremost is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God is one Lord, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. And so what Jesus responds to is what's known as the, what I like to say Southern California style is the El Shema, which means the Shema. Uh, Shema is, is a Hebrew word to hear. Uh, if you go to Israel or you have a Jewish friend or you come over to, to my house, uh, uh, we've put this little box on our doorpost, and it's called a mezuzah. Uh, when you go to Israel, through the hallways of all of the uh, the hotel rooms, there's a little box on each one. They're called mezuzahs, and within the mezuzah is the Shema. This was the very important passage for the Jewish people still still today. And within that box, it contains Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 5, which is what Jesus answers. And so, kind of thinking through this passage, it's, it's uh, are we just looking at the argument, or do we want to look at what Jesus responds with, and why is this so critical? And to me, I, I do believe that Jesus' answer, it's, it's not just for the sake of winning this argument with a scribe. I do think his answer is really important for us as followers of Christ. And so I'd like to go back, if you would turn with me, uh, to Deuteronomy. Um, and in Deuteronomy... I know you guys are probably just watching on your couches, but hopefully you have your Bibles open. And as you turn back to Deuteronomy, we'll look at sort of the story. How was this given? And so this is a book of Moses. And in Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 1, this is what we read. It's Moses speaking. He's sort of handing the baton off to the next generation as they are getting ready to enter into the promised land. And he says to them, now this is the commandment. The statutes and the judgments which the Lord your God has commanded me to teach you, that you might do them in the land where you are going over to possess it, so that you you and your son and your grandson might fear the Lord your God to keep all his statutes and his commandments which I command you all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. It's the, in these opening verses, I, I sense a, an older man um, that's walked with the Lord, that he's sending his family, his, his country, to this unknown land to him. He knows he's not going to join them. And it's sort of with the love, with the intensity of, of a grandfather, a father to the, his son and to his family, of just pleading with them, Uh, to to walk with the Lord, and he says, fear the Lord, take God seriously, don't joke around with God. And he didn't say just do this on Sunday, he didn't say do this just while you're in quarantine, we're not in quarantine, but we're in isolation, feels like quarantine, Um, maybe we are in quarantine. Um, And he says, do this all the days of your life, like forever, walk with God. And then he says in verse 3, O Israel, you should listen and be careful to do it that it may be well with you. We, we live for God, we obey God, we fear God, not because God is uh, you know, trying to hurt us. It's that God is doing good for us, walking with God and living according to his ways. It is what is best for us. That it may be well with you, verse 3, and that you may multiply greatly, just as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you. In a land flowing with milk and honey. Now, that's the setup, that's the introduction to the Shema, that they would say the Jewish people every morning and every evening, they would say this text as a reminder to themselves. And so we're told, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So the singularity of God, that God is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart with all your soul and with all your might. And so this this instruction, this relationship that, that they are to love God with everything that they have, like every single component of, of your person, with, with all that you have, you're to love God in that way. Um, I remember um, at the Western Wall once, I, I had, it, it was during one of the ceremonies and it was filled with the um, the the orthodox jews the the um, and and I remember talking to one of them as they were sitting there, kind of shaking at the wall i 'm sure you 've seen those images and i I was able to talk to a more uh a liberal one that wasn 't a part of the group and i said what 's the deal with the shaking and he 's like you know this is this is how we can show to demonstrate that we 're loving God and worshiping him with everything from our toes to the top of our head. everything is involved." In our prayers, and it's sort of the picture um, uh, of what's going on in this passage. So to love God with all your might, and he goes on to verse six: these words which I am commanding you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently. That word always grips me. It's not not being lazy about it. Diligent means that you're doing it um, intentionally, focused. Um, methodically to your sons and you shall talk of them when you sit in your house and when you walk by the way and when you lie down and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand and they shall be as frontals on your forehead. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. And so there's this instruction that as you love God, uh, you're to take your responsibility with your family and your children uh, and and teach them and train them spiritually, not just on Sundays, but as you're going about your days. And this has been particularly uh, convicting for me going through this uh this lockdown you know you're you're home and there's questions about the future and what's going on i have the strain of my my dad who's really struggling going through everything and in the midst of this i have the kids um with us at home they're all they're always there and i'm now there with them as well all the time and so um it's easy to get frustrated it's easy for your your, my own worry and fear to sort of the the bubble out and i've I, i i recognize that god is convicting me to be more mindful about how we're teaching not just on sundays not just during bible studies but on the ins and outs of life how am i demonstrating my love for god in the midst of this crisis and so um this this is front and center that jesus tells them and so, go back to Mark. As I turn back there myself, and back in Mark, this is the first part that Jesus responds with. That Jesus, the God, wants all of you. The first commandment is that you're to love God. That you're to have this relationship with Him. It, it's 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 the idea of agape love this that you're uh, committed um that it's not necessarily about emotion it's uh, that that you're going to follow him and walk with him on purpose commitment through the ups and downs downs like the vows within a marriage that uh, you're you're committed to to love and to be there with all that you you have in the good times and the bad times um the second verse 31 i think it's interesting he asked for one but jesus is going to give him two he says the the second is this you shall love your neighbor as yourself and so kind of like wings on a plane you can't not one is not more important than the other both are important and he tells he quotes from leviticus chapter 19 verse 18 and he says "the the second is to love your neighbor as yourself um In in the Matthew's account, in Matthew chapter 22, verse 40, Jesus says that these two commands, like on these two commands, the Shema and loving others, loving your neighbor as yourself, the the whole of the law and the prophets hinge on these two commands, that that, that everything, the whole Bible hinges on these two things, uh, which is huge. And so that's why I think it's it's not just for this argument's sake; it's it's for us. Um, he goes on to say, "There is no other commandment greater than these." Um, and, and this is one of those super easy to understand, so much more difficult to put into action to to apply. We can we can talk the talk, but but actually living this out, if we're honest with ourselves, this is. This, this is terribly difficult. How do we actually do this? And what does it look like? Um, it's, it's fascinating. Over in Luke, actually, if you'll go with me over to Luke chapter 10, there's a story that we're all familiar with. Um, Matthew, Mark, Luke. And in Luke chapter 10... In Luke chapter ten, verses twenty-five through thirty-seven, there's a there's a story there that we all know. We we've all heard of the Good Samaritan. We're familiar with that. Um, it, it's common vernacular in our day and age. And if we go to that story, it's it's fascinating the similarities between that story and Jesus's interaction with this scribe or lawyer. Look with me in verse twenty-five. We read there, and a lawyer or a scribe stood up and put him that's Jesus to the test saying teacher what shall i do to inherit eternal life um so so the what this scribe wants he wants to in, inherit eternal life that's a good that's a really good question that we all need to reckon with how do, how do we inherit eternal life and so jesus said to him well what's 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 written in the law how does it how does it read to you you're you're the expert uh, how, t- Jesus to the scribe H- how is it that you read when you read the bible what do you think it says to do and so he said to him in verse 26 he said or verse 27 excuse me and he answered you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor is yourself hmm, that sounds familiar, doesn't it? That's exactly what Jesus answered the other scribe that answered about the, asked about the two most important questions. And so this, this scribe, basically, when he, when he approaches Jesus, he gives the answer that Jesus gives appropriately. And Jesus says in verse 28, you've answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Just go about loving God, loving others, and you, you'll be fine. But in verse 29, this, this lawyer, he wants to justify himself. And he asked the question, "Just one second before we depart, Jesus, uh, who's my neighbor?" And there are rabbinic writings about this answering this question. Some would say it's only your immediate family that is your neighbor. Some would say only if your house, you know, kind of connected to them, would that be your neighbor. Some would say that if you, um, they were in your immediate community. They all. I mean, there were so many different options, and so this this attorney is trying to figure out, like, what is the minimum, like, what? Because loving your neighbor is yourself. That's hard to do. And so let's 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 identify exactly what what. How do we define neighbor? And so then Jesus goes through, and I'm not going to read the whole uh, story, but we'll see that this man leaves leaves Jerusalem, and and he is. Um or he's he's beaten up and he's he's like kinda of left for dead on the side of the road and we see that a, a priest walks by, ignores him, a Levite walks by, and then finally a, a Samaritan who they all hated, this this second class citizen who wasn't worthy of, of of them, walked by and this guy picks the guy up, he takes him to a motel, he bandages them up. He tells the, the hotel owner, you know, I'm going to open up a tab for this guy, take care of him, anything he needs, I'll cover it when I get back. And at this, the end of this whole story, Jesus looks at the scribe and he says, well, which one of these individuals was a good neighbor? And the scribe says, obviously the Samaritan. And Jesus says, go and do the same. And so this this picture of Loving God, as we love God, as we worship Him with all of our being, this this materializes in how we treat others. Suddenly, because we've been redeemed and we have a relationship with Christ, it translates into how we care for one another. And I've seen so much of this. Like through this lockdown, like I've just I've I've seen people say, Hey. Um, I'm at this store. There, I see that there's excess. To- there's toilet paper available, or paper towels, or or you fill in the blank. Does anybody need it? And to see people like, yeah, I could really use that. Could you help me out with that? Or um, people saying, hey, I need this. Does anybody have that? And people kind of saying, yeah, I have that. Let me let me provide it for you. Um, these opportunities to love one another tangibly. It's 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 beautiful. Um, and I do think that as we continue down this road, there's going to be more and more opportunity for us as the body of Christ to respond to people in need and for us to take our love for God and to then translate it into love for others. Now, um, this is sort of you know, free of charge. This, is, this doesn't really deal with our text. But as I've been dealing with our text... Or maybe it does deal with our text somewhat. Um, I've never connected where the how the next story kind of ties in or is a part of of this very question. Um, so in Luke chapter ten, verses twenty five through thirty seven, so we see there that's the the parable of the the good Samaritan. Um, we we leave that story with the one who loves his brother is. Or the one who is a good neighbor is the one who showed mercy on this guy in need. Then we transition in verses thirty and 38. It says, Now they were traveling along, and he entered a village. And a woman named Martha welcomed him into her home. And she had a sister called Mary, who was seated at the Lord's feet, listening to his word. But Martha was distracted with all her preparations. And she came up to him and said, Lord, do you not care? Uh, Lord, do you not care that my sister has left me to do all this serving alone? Then tell her to help me. But the Lord answered and said to her, Martha, Martha, you are worried and bothered about so many things. Just like we have so many worries and concerns about what's going on right now. He says, but only one thing is necessary. For Mary has chosen the good part, which shall not be taken away from her. Now I I I hope I can articulate this. This is this is my condensed week, but looking at these two stories in in Luke chapter ten, dealing with the story that we're at in Mark, of Jesus says the two most important things are loving God with all that you are. The second part is loving others as yourself. And so, in this story, we move from the scribe wanting to justify himself, being, he's demonstrating, uh, Jesus is demonstrating to him how important caring for and having mercy on others is a, a, as a reflection of doing the first part. Then as we move to the second part, we have Martha who's concerned about uh, serving and helping others, but she sort of divorced herself. From the love of God. And so so you need these two together. You you can't serve and love others apart from loving God. It doesn't work. And loving God but not loving uh your your neighbor as yourself, you can you it's not uh it's not a, a pick and choose which one you want. They both go hand in hand. And so um verse thirty two, going back to Mark. So in Mark chapter 12, verse 32, the scribe hears Jesus' answer. And he said to him, "Right, teacher. Rabbi, you're correct. Now I wonder from Matthew's account that this, you know, they, they had this meeting of the Pharisees and, and they, this is their guy that they sent forward, this guy who I think was, he was definitely on their side, But he went into this attack wanting truth. And he wasn't going to compromise the scriptures for the sake of winning an argument. Jesus answered him and he says, you, teacher, are absolutely correct. He says, you have truly stated that he is one and there is no one else besides him and to love him with all the heart. He adds this definite article, which is interesting to me. And with all the understanding and with all the strength, and to love one's neighbor as himself, uh, he says, "Jesus, you are right." And it's it's almost like these two men who have respect for one another spiritually. Um, they, almost like they went swing, swinging their swords; they hit swords, and the guy's like, "No, you are dead on. You are absolutely correct." And this last phrase that he says, he quotes from First Samuel chapter fifteen, verse twenty-two, and he says, "Loving God is much more than all the burnt offerings and, and sacrifices." He's he's affirming what Jesus says. He's affirming this relationship is takes precedence over any religious sort of act of of religious ceremony. And I only wish I could like see the others going. No, what are you doing? <laughs> like you're this you're supposed to be tripping him up. You're our best guy, and you're you're in cahoots with him. You're affirming him. And so when Jesus verse thirty four saw that he had answered intelligently. Like, Jesus is like, attaboy, good scribe. You know your scriptures. But then he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. This is, the Padres have never won a World Series. The other team has never won a Super Bowl. Um, to, To be close, that's not good enough. That's not being in. What did what did he, what did he miss? I don't want to skip over the last part, but basically in this in this in this dialogue, then Mark says after that, no one would venture to ask him any more questions. So, so they, were, they were done. But but what did he what did he what did he miss? So as we wrap up here today, this this is a really hard story. He asks Jesus a question. Jesus answers. The guy says, You're you're right. You're absolutely 100% correct, Jesus, in what you answer. Your summary of the whole of the scriptures is spot on. And Jesus says, you know, basically we're told that Jesus says this guy answered intelligently. This, this guy, uh, they, they agreed. Yet Jesus ends with this, but you're not part of the kingdom. Like like you're close to the kingdom. You're not far from the kingdom of God. And that's translated as you're not in the kingdom. You're not saved. It's like you're right there on the one yard line, but you, you haven't executed the thing that separates you from life. It's terrifying. And then the question is, what is this man missing? It, what he's missing is this whole Shema and loving others as yourself this is something that is physically impossible for any one of us to accomplish. We can shake our bodies when we're praying, but do we truly love God with all that we are? Like, it's it's impossible. Uh, Jesus tells another uh, parable to the Pharisees in Luke chapter 18, verses 9 through 14, and we're not going to read the story, but it's, it's one of these most profound stories, and Jesus tells this parable about... Um, the, the religious guys who are praying, look at me and I do all of these stuff. And then he says, then look off at the distance and there's a tax collector, one of the most hated guys. And we're told that that guy was beating his chest. He couldn't even look at the temple. And you just you just sense the remorse and, and the gravity of uh, the sorrow of his sin and recognizing how sinful he was. And he just is pleading, Lord, be merciful to me. And then Jesus asked a question: Which one of these two groups do you think walked away justified? And he pointed to the tax collector. Paul, another Pharisee, another man just like this scribe, as we through the you know what I what the Ramellies have coined as gunner Grams, and we've run with it. These daily readings and devotionals through Philippians in Philippians chapter three, verses one through eleven, when the Apostle Paul uh, speaks about. Uh, his former life and and his his works of the flesh, and he, he you know he says, according to the law, I was blameless. He was doing all of the things required of the law, but he didn't realize that he was a sinner, and he didn't realize what this man didn't realize the missing link in this equation is their need for a savior is that they were sinners, their religion didn't save them this this relationship, this standard that God had created there's there's a shortcoming in our lives. And what they needed was Jesus. And if you have experienced that feeling of of the tax collector in Luke chapter 18, like I have, that to have that moment when you, before God, recognize that God is holy, and you are honest with yourself, and you recognize the gravity of your sin, there's nothing more horrible—it like just doesn't—there's nothing that feels worse than that. You feel dirty. Just, you just—you want— just out of it you want cleansing and jesus provides that to us and if you felt that feeling and then you have responded to the gospel and you have come to understand jesus jesus's forgiveness and his work on the cross that he made a way for us to have this relationship with god there's nothing greater So if you haven't received Christ as your Savior, I would point you to Him and encourage you to to read the Gospels, to ask me questions, to to investigate. God wants nothing more than for you to turn your life over to Him. And if you have received Christ as Savior, because you've been redeemed, God wants us then to recognize others as, as those that He's died for. And so how we view others, we love them, not because we're trying to save them, but because we've been saved and we've experienced this grace and this mercy of God, then it transforms how we live our lives. Um, my, my, my prayer is that as we go through these, uh, these upcoming days, weeks, however long it's going to be, my, my prayer is that we would lean into God and that we would know that he's sovereign, he's in control, This coronavirus didn't catch him by surprise. He's going to do something through this. He is working in you and through you um, for his glory. And the same thing for our church, the same thing for here at Cross Connection. I'm convinced that God is doing big things. And my prayer is that through these things that sort of rattle us to our core, that our roots would go deep and that we would truly lean upon Christ and bring him honor and glory. Uh, my prayers that god would help us to love him more and to love others well and with that until we meet again uh one of these days it's going to be a glorious thing as god said to uh to worship in in person with one another uh, but i think next week it'll be virtual church again and probably for the next few weeks but i love you all and i'm looking forward to seeing you again let's let's pray father we do thank you and praise you for this day we thank you for your word uh, lord we thank you for the story as jesus uh, demonstrates his deity, his ability to, uh, to, to deal with the individuals, to deal with the text in a, in a way that was unlike any other, that uh, he's fascinating to hear him teach. And so, Father, we pray that you would help us to love you with all of our strength, with everything that we have and are. May we glorify you in our relationship with you, And Father, as we love on you, as we turn our hearts towards you, we pray that you would uh, give us eyes that see others as you see them. May we uh, demonstrate and share your grace that we've received with those around us. Father, help us to be a, a, a people that are grounded in you, knowing that you're in control and that we can trust you through this. And we pray this in Christ's good name. Amen.